Before we turn our attention to the gospel passage for today, I want to tell you about one of the sights you see when walking the Camino de Santiago. The city of Astorga is a wonderful city. It is bigger than most that you pass through while walking, but it is still a smaller city. You can walk through it rather quickly. And Astorga is known for two things more than anything else. One of the two is the chocolatiers. The making of chocolates is a really big deal in Astorga, and you can get some truly amazing chocolate creations there. The second thing, and what more people know about, is the gaudy Episcopal Palace. When the original bishop's palace was destroyed by fire in the 1800s, the diocese decided to hire Anthony Gaudi, the Spanish architect, to design the replacement. Gaudi, known for his extremely extravagant designs, designed the palace and the building was started in 1889. It was finally completed about 1913, which happened to be three bishops later. The palace looks like something out of a Disney cartoon. It is built with a nearly white, gray granite, so it is bright in the sunlight. There's tall, rounded towers at each of the corners, stained glass windows, and is five stories high. Outside, there are three large bronze angels. One holds the bishop's crucifix, one holds the bishop's crozier, and one holds the bishop's mitre. And these symbolize that the bishop's authority is sent from heaven. When it came time for the then bishop to move in, he refused. He believed that the building was too much and had to somehow be used to benefit the people. As a result, the bishop reached an agreement with the city to convert the palace into a museum. With that story to be tucked into the back of our minds, let us turn our attention to the gospel passage for today. Today we continue in the 12th chapter of Mark, beginning in the 38th verse, and then finishing in the 44th. I point this out because quite frequently this section of the gospel is treated as two different stories rather than one story that has two parts. To properly situate the story, it's important to understand that at the time, the synagogues were not only centers of worship, but functioned as a form of civic government. They were where disputes were settled, debts were documented, recorded, and paid, and matters of the law resolved. The scribes were workers in the synagogues, but they were not rabbis. They functioned more like lawyers and bankers, but with what was supposed to be a motivation and standards focused on God. Our reading, though, opens with Jesus tell us, telling us, Beware of the scribes. Those familiar with Shakespeare's play, Henry VI, might think about the famous line, the first thing we do, let us kill all the lawyers. Beware of the scribes, Jesus tells us, because they like to walk around in long robes, attracting attention to themselves. They go into the marketplace where the trade is, where the money is, to be greeted, to make alliances, to gain favor with those who are doing the trading, the ones with the money. When the scribes did go into the synagogues, they took the best seats that were available. And at the times of the many feasts, 
that are celebrated on the Jewish calendar, they took the places of honor. The scribes, Jesus warns us about, were concerned about themselves, making sure that they were seen, that they had the best of what was available, that they had the influence they needed to gain better lives for their own comfort. Jesus continues, These scribes devour widows' estates. The scribes, as a bit of a lawyer-banker combination, were in a position to swindle the community's most vulnerable, the widows, out of everything they had. And while they were cheating widows out of everything they had, devouring their households, they put on a show of praying long prayers for them. The scribes made sure that they were in powerful and comfortable positions by taking care of the rich and cheating the poor. As a result, Jesus makes clear, they will receive the greater condemnation. Most people delivering a message on our passage today would stop there in the text and build up one moral message or another against greed, abuse of power, or some other suitable message from the text. Or, given today's passage extends further, they would skip over this first part to get to the second, because it seems so much nicer. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. This is in the synagogue, as mentioned, as part of the civic government that was intertwined with the place of worship. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting in their money. First are the rich people. And these Jesus didn't actually have to watch if he didn't want to. The treasury was a series of large copper horn-shaped receptacles that would clang with the sound of heavy metal coins that was the money of the day. The rich could take a handful of heavy coins and throw them into the copper horn, and everybody present would have known they had put in a large amount. They would look and sound generous in the process. Then comes the widow. Now remember that Jesus just told us about how the widows were being cheated. The widow comes and she puts in two small copper coins that together make only a penny. And seeing this, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I've grown up hearing sermons, Bible studies, devotionals, and other other lessons given by those in the church talking about this widow's faithful and sacrificial giving. She has given more than all the rest because she gave sacrificially. The message was always, you may not have much, but remember the widow's might. Just two small copper coins was more than all the rich put in. So be faithful. Give sacrificially. Before going further, yes, there are examples in the Bible of being called to give sacrificially as a matter of faith. The question, though, is whether that is what is going on here. Here in our passage for today, when Jesus has just warned us to to beware of the scribes who devour the households of widows, is this passage about sacrificial giving. Or, here in our passage where the widow is placing her last two coins, where she put in every she, everything she had and all she had to live on, and she placed that in the treasury, 
is Jesus drawing our attention to an example of what the scribes have done. The rich get away with throwing in what is a lot of money, but is for them no more than pocket change. They get all of the positive attention for their generosity when it did not impact their life at all. They gave just a bit out of their excess. But the widow, the widow put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The widow should have been receiving aid from the treasury, not putting in her last two coins. Another household devoured by the greed of the unrighteous scribe. The disciples learned the lesson. You can read about it in the sixth chapter of the book of Acts. After Jesus ascended into heaven and the disciples became apostles, going out and proclaiming the gospel, they learned of widows being neglected. They immediately called for trustworthy men to be selected, and once selected, they were brought to the apostles who laid hands on them, prayed over them, ordaining them as the first deacons of the church. These deacons, which literally means servants, were given the responsibility to ensure that the widows and others in need were taken care of, not taken advantage of. Today our circumstances are a little different, but we can apply the principles of this lesson to our setting. We give to the church because we want to. When we give, we are recognizing that everything we have is a blessing from God, and therefore what we give is a returning of a portion of what He has given us, so that His work, including the relief of those who are in poverty like the widow, can be done here on earth. When we give, we expect the leadership of the church, like the Bishop of Astorga, to not take it for their own lavish comfort, but to make sure it is used for the good of the people. When we give, we return to God a portion, commonly understood as a tithe, typically 10%, with some giving more in their abundance and some less in their need, but none giving the last that they have to live on. When we give, regardless of the amount, we give what we give in joy. The Apostle Paul, who did urge the faithful to give a tithe, and even more, as a rightful duty to God, also made clear, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. May you forever be blessed to be able to give cheerfully from what, from what you have been blessed. Amen.